Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I am so happy you're here joining myself with Russell Case and Ellen Johansson. You know, many people dream of what it would be like to travel to the east, to live maybe in Nepal or India or the Himalayas. And today we're speaking to Ellen, who has made this dream a reality. She is an incredible woman who uh, started practicing Ashtanga Yoga in 1994. She was first introduced to the practice while she was in New York, but that soon led her to Mysore, India where she also uh, began a passion or an interest in Buddhism and Buddhist meditation and Buddhist studies. So her journey led her all the way to Belakupe, which is a Tibetan settlement just outside of Mysore. And she spent about three years living there and, and working in the Tibetan monastery and studying in the Tibetan monastery with the monks who were refugees from Tibet living there in India. She then moved to Kathmandu, where she completed a Tibetan translator course and earned a degree in Tibetan studies and Himalayan languages from the Kathmandu University. And she's also finished a master's degree. Um, She started the first Mysore program in Kathmandu. And now we find her back in Norway, in Oslo, which is her home country. She is Norwegian. She actually co-founded the first Ashtanga Yoga studio in Oslo uh, back in 2002. So an incredible woman with just so much energy and focus and determination to learn languages, uh, become a translator of Tibetan um, in her 30s and 40s, and, you know, onwards, she's um, just an amazing person. And this journey has been so unique for her. Uh, we're going to talk about how she combines Ashtanga yoga practice with uh, Buddhist meditation. She's a very obviously dedicated Buddhist um, meditator. And uh, maybe you'll even learn a few tips or ideas on how the two are really in a very synchronistic relationship. So I know you're going to love this interview with Ellen, and I just want to let you know if you are fans of the Finding Harmony podcast, um, I have updated my website, so be sure to check out harmonyslater.com, and I am opening up my Inner Circle membership for the second time this year. It will be open um, for the next month, so jump on inside. We have weekly Mysore classes on Fridays. We have a conference every month that's live where you get your questions answered and personal coaching as well as we're studying the yoga sutras and going deep into yoga philosophy. There is also a monthly pranayama and chanting class which is super powerful and a great way to um, just start to learn some breathwork practices, some pranayama practices as well as some mantras that you can use all month. And inside the Inner Circle membership, you are going to find a very extensive video library of many different types of classes that are guided and led. You're going to get hip opening, gentle back bends, and introduction to intermediate, as well as several workshops, 
full primary restorative yoga, meditations, pranayama. Uh, the video selection and audio selection is endless. So um, I know you're just going to love it. There's so much value here. So I hope that you jump in and become an Inner Circle member. You also get access to me through WhatsApp and our private Facebook group. So it's a great way to start to build a relationship with a teacher um, and get your questions answered when they come up. It's very low risk, very low cost actually as well to have access to a teacher where you can ask your questions and, and also a beautifully supportive community. Um, the people in the Inner Circle membership are amazing people who support each other and just encourage each other. Uh, people get to know one another and it's a wonderful place to be. So I hope that some of you want to join. Uh, it's fantastic I gotta say it's the highlight of my week to meet with all the students who want to come to the live classes and I know many students also just join the recorded classes and send me messages so there's lots of options there for you and I look forward to seeing you inside but I don't want to keep you much longer so let's dive into this beautiful conversation with Ellen Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Kay. You know, I um, I only just woke up like 15 minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. and um, this is one of those uh, uh, almost live Sunday morning podcasts where it's Sunday morning and um, it's it's what it's nine o'clock. Yeah, and um, you've told me. This is you, you've told me that uh, we're going to do a podcast. Now you did tell me before, but did. It is something of a of a shock and a surprise. It's not a shock or a surprise. <laughs> but I I am very um very much I'm very quickly getting to know our guest today. I know and we have a beautiful guest today, Ellen Johansson. Yes, Ellen Johansson. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. Where um, are you this morning? Well, it's not morning anymore. It's about five o'clock here and I'm in uh, Oslo enjoying the summer here between the rain showers, but uh, it's actually still warm and it's beautiful and we have light until late, late in the evening, like around 10 o'clock. So this is oh. really the time we enjoy. Yeah. Hard to go to sleep though for the, for a yoga teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I love the summers <laughs> with the light. <laughs> Us too in Canada, we have like the early morning with the sun coming up at 4.35 and then yeah. doesn't go down till 10.30, then, 11. And then you go to work and people are still partying. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. at first blush, you remind me of, of one of these wood nymphs that maybe you see in Game of Thrones and you okay. one of the the northern the northern um uh spirits that kind of kind of flit through the forest and and um maybe they kill uh, unwary travelers you know with like mm. little little spears <laughs> little blow darts blow like darts yeah like in willow yeah yeah are you uh are you a wood nymph or a wood spirit of some kind it's funny you ask me that because I, I was thinking of that coming in today. I had been out cycling and I came in and I thought, hmm, I think I really have a connection to nature. I don't often talk about it because I'm not someone who, you know, goes for long trekking walks and wilderness expeditions. 
but uh, but nevertheless you know nature and especially my connection to a, a place in the countryside where i spent my childhood was was very powerful and very um spiritual in a way it was like uh, this place that was specially alive to me and actually healed me once in my life and during a very hard period in of my of my life so i guess i i do have a connection to uh, to nature yeah <laughs> and yeah it, i always felt like very free there in uh, mm-hmm. out in in nature and i kind of always also had this longing to have a kind of more simple life like uh, to be like an, an indian i mean a red indian mm-hmm. or something and, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know live in a teepee and close to nature or something yeah like yeah <laughs> And I guess my childhood, you know, these were the days where we were still allowed to run wild in the forest and nobody was looking after us and no bicycle helmets and not so much protection. Mm. So we can be, we could be out and and use the nature and go a bit wild, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You lose a couple of kids now and then. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's a better time. (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't think we we lose lost more kids then than than we do now, now? for other reasons <laughs> i agree i agree they try to yeah. protect us here in norway you know when i grew up skateboarding was actually prohibited here oh, oh wow. my goodness for good reason yeah. i'd say yeah, those are, those <laughs> it was kids. dangerous or no, because no, those it are, like those are naughty like kids increased, the, sk- yeah. the skateboarders are naughty. <laughs> increased yeah naughtiness. i guess so yeah. they were the bad ones you know yeah, so we yeah. had to oh we had to protect the public you have to root them out. <laughs> Protect the public against yeah. skateboarders. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, there's something so I I love that so healing about nature, and I think especially the last you know the last couple of years with COVID and and mm. you know so much online everything. I feel like mm. a lot of us are really craving that connection more again. Mm. But that happened here, actually, because everything was closed. People were spending the outdoors. Uh, they were they were using yeah. the the outdoor facilities. Suddenly, people were ice skating with their kids again. You know, Amazing. it was nice to see, and people were picnicking and and spending more time outdoors because that's the only place. <laughs> that was the only place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. I would argue that almost nothing has changed for me. No, <laughs> except that I don't have to go outside, which was <laughs> never, never my preference. You just so shelter in home this constantly. Is, that's where I prefer to be is just at home. And now I don't have to go outside anymore, and so it's fantastic. Except for the four walks a day with the dog. No, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is a disturbance. So I, I wanted to to ask you. You you mentioned it just briefly about um this disaster in your childhood and mm-hmm. i think you you grew up outside of oslo your parents mm. were pharmacists and so there's mm. maybe something quite tame and suburban about your childhood mm. that you you says you said that you despised and hated yeah, yeah. And, hated it <laughs> and i was you, writing it and what flashed through my mind was this like uh, teenage movies you know with the with yeah. the uh, m- misfit teenager that is kind of oh, uh, seeking him fair. or herself and uh, the, yeah. the whole neighborhood is like a caricature of uh, of just establishment and yeah. you can't fit in and I guess I felt a little bit like uh, like that but people here are so narrow-minded it seemed like mm-hmm. uh, the theme of my life for, for mm-hmm. from very early on I want to get out of here mm-hmm. yeah 
And you had you felt more free when you were in the country with your grandparents. And yeah, stuff. yeah. We had like uh, my grandparents were, uh, my grandfather was luckily a school teacher, so he had a very long summer holiday, and then we yeah. could get away and be out in uh, in nature on the on yeah. the countryside and mm. uh, be on a farm and just run around and uh, and don't have any rules and we didn't have to wash or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my preference. There's actually no that's option wrong. to wash. No <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just the hose <laughs> yeah so yeah exactly so and you know that depended on the weather if it was warm enough for outdoor exactly. showers so. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. wow. Mm. wow he wasn't uh, a strict disciplinarian as a as a teacher he well was he was actually yeah he i think he was strict to his uh, his students but uh, but not so much uh, to us and we yeah. there was anyway plenty of space where we could just run away and i learned very quickly not to ask for permission to do anything you know you better not yeah. ask the adults can i do this you just do it ask afterwards yeah, yeah. ask for forgiveness <laughs> i always love that yeah. that saying mm. <laughs> don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness <laughs> yeah. not so that it. is harmony's way of life yeah <laughs> i'm i'm interested in this in what you said as well that Maybe you preferred being with your grandparents. Maybe your parents weren't, um, were they not getting along? You described it as maybe dysfunctional. Yeah, a bit dysfunctional. I think not a very uh, generous or nice way of communicating at all, mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of accusation and screaming. And what I have later, you know, learned is kind of a dysfunctional way of, of being together, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. taking responsibility for your own moods. And that's what uh, I think yeah. uh, bugged me about adults so much. I, I was thinking like, you're supposed to be the adults. Mm -hmm. You know, you should take charge of your, of your emotions and feelings and not just let them out on, on everyone who comes in your way. You know, you guys mm -hmm. should be in control. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, what uh, drove me to to long for something else, for something uh, more noble than, than this way of just behaving and, and letting it all out mm -hmm. but yeah people around me they were like that not very uh, I guess yeah not very uh, um, sophisticated in in that way or, or mm -hmm. lack of self-control I think yeah. yeah I mean what of course first... later I later yeah. I figured out that my mom had a full job and three children so I can understand <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. she was I going crazy I was <laughs> more judgmental when I was a, a kid or a teenager yeah <laughs> yeah what was your first like um glimpse at at a different way of being in the world hmm. I think I was uh, I was drawn to kind of uh Christianity and religion and uh, I saw that well these people seem to be more calm or in more control mm. and they seem to have a uh, an alternative way of living uh, I mean like serious like a nunnery or or, or a, mm. a monastery or, or something like that mm -hmm. uh, that seemed very very interesting to me and and uh, I I had this idea of uh, you know, yogis in the East and, uh, and yeah, different lifestyles and also artists. I had an idea that, you know, artists, they had a kind of bohemian lifestyle. They didn't follow mm -hmm. rules and I wanted to be mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Very often those artists had very wealthy families. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. That's also true. We have some of them 
here in Norway as well. It, yeah. It gives you enormous confidence <laughs> when you have that. That's, you have a big pad of money to um, fall back. Yeah, on. yeah. But Van Gogh, Van Gogh's brother is quite wealthy. You know, like yeah, people that's, glossed over that's that. True. That's true. <laughs> but know? also, you know, being born in Norway, I quickly discovered is kind of like being born with a silver spoon in your mouth. How so? Because we do have a good, uh, we have free education, we have a good social system, so you can mm -hmm. actually, uh, you can actually take some more risks, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I thought, well, even if I pursue a, an impossible career, I'm not going to end up starving in some ditch. I can always mm -hmm. get a job and get paid decently. I can always get by. It's not yeah. never going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mother yeah. said the same thing to me about being a white male. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they always have there that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when you graduated from school, you decided to go and study dance. Yeah, I did that. I had the graduated. Had... No, no, she was eleven. She was eleven. She was a little oh. girl when she started. Yeah, dancing. yeah. Then I I started yeah. dancing when I was eleven at a at the local ballet school, and. Uh, that was already kind of a parallel universe for me. I discovered that I loved performing and taking on roles and, and mm -hmm. being someone else. And uh, and we got to perform a lot. I must say it was a really good school and a fantastic lady who, who led it. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then when I when I finished uh, high school, I, I decided to give it a shot. And I also wanted yeah desperately to get away mm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah I, I took one term at university just to prove that I wasn't stupid that I could yeah. go to university if I kind mm. of wanted yeah. so I took the entrance exams and studied some uh, well it was a basic course in philosophy at that time that you had mm -hmm. to pass so I took that and then whoop, I was off to London Wow! Did you have to audition to get oh, in? Oh yeah, or did we you had to audition with like to... number plates on our chest, yeah. and uh, <laughs> we had to dance in front of a panel of very serious-looking yes. old dance mistresses. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah that was a proper audition in those days. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. You look like you have the right frame for it. Uh, Not really. I don't. I don't have the right the open hips in the in the right way so i i never really oh. fit into the to the ballet thing but it was kind of a dream also to to live within that world i was kind of totally a parallel universe the romantic ballets and yeah. just work hard and basically you don't, i i assumed you didn't have to have a social life and deal with people you could just dance and get exhausted and go home and sleep and go back and dance the next day and to me that sounded wonderful that was like my <laughs> yeah wow. i love that too but actually it, it was yeah. it was not the case well it was not the case i i think i wasn't cut out to be a, a dancer and i was already um 18 or 19 when i started that and you should have your debut at 16 or something you know it's, it's uh, very, it's uh, very tough that and it, it was a very authoritative school but i felt a lot of freedom just moving out of norway and and the place mm -hmm. i lived and coming to london whoo nobody knows me here yeah. i can do what i want so yeah that was a great sense of uh, of liberty to can, to move out from here can i just say that i just remembered i had the weirdest dream this just this <laughs> last night this morning 
uh, I was with another, a, a couple of other young men and we were all comparing our turnout. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and my that turnout, happens. And my turnout is enormous and it's all very natural <laughs> and I'm a terrible dancer. And I'm, well, but I have this enormous turnout and uh, I've always, it always Especially sort of- in your dreams. I've always sort of, no, I've, it's wide open. And I've, I'm just very, I was always very confused why people would say, oh, my hips weren't open. I didn't, I, I don't have a turnout. Like, well, why don't you just learn, learn a better turnout, you know? Mm. Like one of those, but some of it has to do with the way that the femur is actually like uh, socketed. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. hip yes. itself, like it's structural. Yeah. Wow, was that true and, for you, Ellen? And in the proper ballet schools in in Russia and stuff, I've heard mm-hmm. that when the kids are really small, they just pop their hips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they're small, they do stuff. Well, yeah, I think yeah, there's they, certain things you can do to change yeah, the bone yeah, structure yeah, yeah. when you're young yeah. because your bones are still a little bit soft. My brother must have done that to me. <laughs> Maybe. You know, yeah. figure. Okay. And so you were dancing in London and mm-hmm. and how did you come across yoga? Was it in London at this time in your life? It was actually. And uh, it was this like turn of faith, I think uh because i i had just it was just the very week of our uh graduation from the from london contemporary dance school that is as it was called and then i saw this strange man sitting in the canteen and it was danny paradise no yeah really yeah (laughs) and and one of my classmates she said wow i just met this amazing yoga teacher you guys you have to try and we chipped in a quid each and yeah. Danny oh, Paradise good. gave us some like yoga lessons, Ashtanga yoga Fantastic. lessons. And, and he, I remember him just sitting there with his like long $2. hair and big eyes. And then he showed me some pictures of himself with his leg behind the neck. And I and he yeah. was he was he was saying like, Yeah, guys, this this method is really, really powerful. This yoga is really, really powerful, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and Fantastic. I just remember I just noted it down and, and I kept it in a book and I just practiced it like ever since I didn't know it was a shtanga or what it was. Wow. That's I just amazing. knew I loved it and I loved the, the breathing and I don't know what it how I, I just loved the way it felt. So That's I guess what I noted down was just the standing sequence. Mm-hmm. So I kept yeah. practicing that for a long time without even knowing it was a shtanga. That's phenomenal, Ellen. I think the same year, that was like 1993, 94, was it? Uh, 90, yeah, 90, uh, 89, I think. Yeah, 80, 80, 89. Okay, because yeah. it, it said here that you started Ashtanga in 94. Yeah. Um, but you that class was in 89. Yeah. Okay. So it All was right. a long gap. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a long gap. Uh, uh, and then later I went to, to Amsterdam and I did completely opposite from this like authoritative uh, English Royal Academy of Dance and Graham yeah. technique, the very expressionist uh, modern dance technique from the 30s or 40s. Uh, I came to Amsterdam where it was like all somatic uh, exploration (laughs) and concept composition very conceptual Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, uh, yeah I was sort of I had one foot in each uh, uh, camp I guess Uh, and then but anyhow I started dancing with a with an American choreographer 
and uh, we went on we went on tour to uh, to um, New York. We went to have oh, some wow. performances in New York, and I met uh, Tim Feldman and his yeah. uh, former wife Sarah, who was also a dancer, yeah. and she took yeah. me to Jiva Mukti. She took me to uh, to my first like proper wow. yoga wow. lesson in the yoga studio. She said, oh, that- this is the cool thing. This is where all the dancers go now. They just forget about dance classes. Everyone goes to yoga. Oh, <laughs> it was so, that was that in 94 then was that was that yeah that was 94 so okay. that was much uh, that was much later yeah because I, I, I was thinking i was i was i had a little ballet course and i was and i just you just meet this ashtanga yogi mm-hmm. i met this ashtanga yogi in chicago just randomly and like that's how it was you just you had to be like the most lucky coincidence mm-hmm. to run to like you know bump into a yoga teacher in those mm. those days it was <laughs> yeah. very i can't stress this enough for our resident. younger listeners how uncommon it was to meet a yeah. yoga teacher yeah right. mm. you have to be one of the luckiest people mm. on earth to suddenly like oh yeah an Ashtanga yoga yeah. teacher happens <laughs> yeah. to be at my university or in my canteen it's just yeah. <laughs> exactly really <laughs> That's amazing. And when you went to your first Jiva Mukti class, did you kind of recognize the the style? Yeah, I realized. Yoga, the... I realized this is this is what I had been doing. This was the Ujjayi breathing, and this was right. the yeah. technique. So at that time, they also had the Shtanga classes at uh, at Jiva Mukti. Yeah. Uh, so I went to all the classes there. I just loved it. I loved the. Also, I felt so. Uh, um, connected or in my right element because mm-hmm. Sharon and David uh, David they was a former performance artist so yeah. they, it was very yeah. spiritual but also in a very very free way yeah perfect uh, for you so, <laughs> mm-hmm. perfect. yeah it was, it was perfect but it yeah. was hard discipline as well you know yeah they were fierce those teachers yeah. yeah yeah for sure perfect. So, so I liked everything about that it was challenging it was fierce I remember they put me up in one of the classes I I hadn't done so much yoga and they put me in this what is it called Viparita Shalabhasana where you're on your chest uh-huh. the third series oh course. yes in oh. Yeah. and they just left me there <laughs> nice <laughs> amazing yeah yeah there's always a seduction as a teacher is to take a talented student and and show them off and play with their bodies in public and like look look what we can do with this talented student and then like the middle-aged people in the class is like oh this is exciting yeah we should do more of this yeah it's um it is it is um i think an indulgence from the teacher when we 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 end up we find ourselves doing this but it's um yeah. yeah. Mm. So how long were you in New York for? I was there. Actually, I went back and, and spent a month there. And uh, and then mm-hmm. I, I uh, and that time, oh, no, no people. They don't go. There's no Ashtanga anymore at Jiva Mukti. Now everyone goes to Eddie Stern. South of yeah, okay, that's right. To Eddie Stern. So I spent a month. Uh, I spent a month there. And wow. Loved it. Yeah. Was it all right? Because at that time I was I. I, I understood that it was getting through the door into his class and being able to get to the mat was an ordeal mm. just because of the hoops that you had to cross uh, or jump through the, you had to kind of prove yourself to him to get into the room. Did, was that, 
your experience? No, that, that yeah. was not an issue. I found him and Jocelyn. They were very friendly. Yeah. It was really, it was very nice. Okay. It was also yeah. this, just this big room on yeah. Broadway and you just took the elevator up. There was a, there was a, a guard in the uniform and <laughs> on the ground yeah. floor and you said, mm -hmm. I'm going to yoga. <laughs> and you went up no. and you just opened the door and yeah, you just amazing. got this wall of sweaty air coming yeah. towards wow. you and this yeah. loud, loud breathing and you had to quietly go to a corner and, and hang your clothes next to the businessman suit and the briefcase that was there. Yeah. And then you had to just grab a space. I was like, Amazing. it was like, it did, it, it was such an impression on a gut impression that to see mm -hmm. that whole room, you know, moving in like slow motion coming mm -hmm. in from the street of New York. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. 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 Like entering like a, like, a, like a truly kind of sacred space, like something mm -hmm. that's so different from the normal world. I always yeah. really love that about like a Mysore room when it's going, it just feels like like a alternate universe in a sense yeah, totally like so different, different dimension yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah beautiful something that you mentioned that was happening for you at this time that was really it was uh um uh salacious uh, that i'd like to ask you about you said at this time that there was a, a scandal back home in norway uh, yeah yeah that, that was, was earlier yeah that was part of what kind of drove you away from Norway and and wanted to go towards dance and and mm -hmm. yoga and I wonder can can you talk about it at all about all of these these lawsuits and all these things that your mm. family was wrapped into it was just something everyone got uh, wrapped into and uh, uh, and of course that took all the attention so so we as children i was 14 at the time i think 14 or 15 mm -hmm. so we were three children but and we were just i felt we were just like forgotten you know every all the energy went into this we want to prove our like we want to win this we want to prove our innocence and all that mm -hmm. so and it just dragged on it's very different from a from a you know court drama where they you know they have a an argument and the lawyer comes and then you win the case and whew, you're free and you can go you know, it's years uh, it's not like that at all <laughs> it drags out year after year after year uh -huh. and the lawyer bills come and you don't know mm -hmm. oh, you know mm -hmm. uh, so every all the energy went uh, went into that and uh, and uh, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a pretty big thing. It was you know in the media and everything. And I just withdrew. I didn't mm. want to anyone to know. I just withdrew from my my friends, and I uh, I became I think anorectic. I stopped eating. Mm. I I had to have some kind of control because I couldn't yeah. control anything around me. So uh, so I went into dancing. That was a safe place for me at that time. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah so uh, and also it became a um, a, a route out of uh, out of Norway and away from everything mm -hmm. so I think yeah. at that time I, I just and it also made me you know it was this was in the 80s and at the same time where when this thing was happening I saw everyone around me my classmates they wanted to be like stockbrokers or businessman right. mm -hmm. make a lot of money and that was all they were interested in and I was mm -hmm. like how can you why 
you know yeah. <laughs> you can do anything in the world and you want to do that you want to go study it. I don't know I guess some people find it interesting but uh, uh, I, I, I lost very much faith in any kind of uh, security or society or mm-hmm. uh, uh, legal system or mm-hmm. anything like yeah. that I thought I have to find I have to find my safe place elsewhere yeah forgive me f- for asking and we can we can not talk about it but it was, was it a kind of thing where, like your family was trying to prove their innocence or your family was trying to secure some some something that had been stolen from them or? no no it wasn't uh, um it wasn't something that had been uh, had been stolen it was like a, a yeah proper like a criminal case oh. yeah. mm-hmm. accusation okay yeah, okay, yeah. Wow. Terrible. Wow. Yeah, it was totally devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You also, you mentioned, it just kind of uh, off the cuff, you were talking about yoga and Mysore, and, and then it says here, and I was, I'd spent three years living in a monastery. Yeah, and it was quite, kind of... a, quite a sudden jump, but it, it strikes me again as a kind of safe, space for you yeah it kind if... of uh, it kind of happened that way it wasn't uh, it wasn't so much uh, uh, planned or it was planned in a certain way but it, it just faith just took a different uh, direction so this again happened in uh, in Mysore that I met some American Buddhists so uh, you were in New they... York and you had taken a trip to Mysore to study yeah I, I was in this was um, in 2005 I think yeah 2005 so I was in uh, I was in Mysore and I met this uh, I met these Buddhists Americans Mm -hmm. and one of them was a was a nun and she was just out of free retreat and I I found it so fascinating you know Mm -hmm. yeah taking a break from everything spending three years how cool and I could see how (laughs) how her mind was you know yeah and Mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't talk to anyone before one o'clock in the in the afternoon that was her time to observe the mind paradise wow that's kind of radical (laughs) (laughs) and then I started looking into the you know the Buddhist philosophy and reading texts with her and and doing courses and and stuff and I thought wow and by the way, that was always what attracted me to to India. Mm. It was it impressed me more to to get into the the Yoga Sutras and and being in a culture when where everyone had this idea of you know karma and cause and effect yeah. and it matters what you do and mm. and you try to do something to affect the outcome of things you know in a mm. totally different non materialistic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in a kind of uh, in a in a spiritual way or in a devotional way or, or mm-hmm. um, uh, something something like that. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that was very that was very powerful. Uh, and uh, uh, I hadn't really looked into to Buddhism, but uh, I was I was fascinated by the Yoga Sutras, but it didn't really provide me with a path. Mm-hmm. How to practice these things, you know, how to go from A to B and and progress on uh, on a path. So I was really fascinated by these uh, by the Buddhist teachings that I found very 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 practical. Mm. Uh, and uh, well, they they resonated with me, and uh, and uh, I planned to go to to their monastery in the in the states. 
So I, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I want to learn this. I'm going to spend, uh, I'm going to take uh, six months off. I can't remember what I had planned, a year or six months. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the States. I'm going to stay there. And then I happened to, uh, while I was in Mysore, I happened to meet this uh, Rinpoche, this Tulku that they took me to. And wow, I just felt, oh, here was something, a <laughs> connection. So yeah. suddenly I, I changed my mind and I asked him if he would, uh, if he would teach me. And he said, yeah. And I asked, well, what, 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 do you, what do you want to teach me? What should I do? And he just said, well, you should come to my monastery. Yeah. Ooh. Not what I expected, but I don't know, maybe I don't go to the States. Maybe I go to, you know, Bella Cooper to Mysore instead. Yeah. So wow. that's what I ended up doing and, and spending time there. Wow. But you had, yeah. you had been to Mysore for the first time in 1997, right? Yeah. Yeah. In Guruji's old shala. Yeah. In Lakshmi Puram. Yeah. And then did you keep going or did you take some time away? No, I had a long, uh, I had a long break, actually, I didn't intend to go back. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I, I did, a, I did a teacher training with John Scott, and he, mm -hmm. he was so devoted to Guruji and, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and said, well, you should go to my so you should go again, you know. Mm -hmm. so yeah. then I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot, I'll go back. Uh, and that time, then then Guruji was already in his nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm, but he so was that still... was two thousand five when you returned. Yeah, yeah, but he still had. So I went back twice more when when Guruji was still uh, teaching. Yeah, mm -hmm. with his like amazing energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And what did you do in between, like from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand and five? Were you still dancing, or were you doing? I was. I was doing. Yeah, I was doing both. I had uh, yeah. I had the kind of smooth transition into yoga. I was still mm -hmm. uh, I was still dancing, but uh, I was always dancing freelance. So it was always project to project, okay. and I was so happy to find yoga to have more of a, a stable job mm -hmm. and a stable income. And I discovered that I really really liked teaching, and mm -hmm. I could use so much of the of the knowledge from from dancing in my yoga teaching. So it wasn't really a, a big. Uh, it wasn't really a big difference, but it, difference. But I thought it, it's a simple method to teach. You know that <laughs> it's a simple framework to use for yeah. uh, uh, to, to apply your knowledge and uh, yeah, knowledge about uh, physicality and, and movement into that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, of course, I was also. It also had a big effect on me to to practice yoga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a whole yeah. different way of being in the body. And it's kind of strange because I had been a dancer for a long time. Yeah. And uh, you should think that you had access to your own body and you have in a certain way, but you're always like doing things. You're always telling your body what to do and mm -hmm. learn new steps and tricks and stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. in the Shtanga, I think, I think it's different. You also receive so much information from your, from your body. It's a totally different way of, of being with your body and with your breath. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Um, that, that shift that you just highlighted of like, like one is like a lot of energy output where you're telling your body what to do, but then the yoga is more like receiving that input and understanding mm you know, what's actually going on in your body. 
I always felt like dance kind of was more about ignoring what was going on in your body <laughs> to like overcome something, right? Mm. To overcome the obstacle. Whereas mm. yoga is really about paying attention so that you can, you know, maybe dissolve the obstacle or, mm. or listen to mm. it or, you know, understand it better. Yeah. It's both actually, because with the, mm. in contemporary dance, you certainly do a lot of somatic work to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to discover new movement you don't want to repeat yeah. anything you're always like discovering new movements new movement possibility and you <laughs> facilitate movement through uh, increased uh, body awareness mm -hmm. so it's it's a very short step from from doing that to get into a, a, a spiritual uh, practice but i think yeah. again you have to do it very deliberately mm -hmm. otherwise it's a body that you have uh, access to but you're not uh, mm -hmm. directing it towards any like spiritual yeah. aim yeah mm -hmm. and so when you went to to stay at the monastery that was in Balakupe, just outside yes. of Mysore yeah yeah wow if in 2005 yeah uh, yeah. So the whole time that Harmony and I were just like <laughs> screwing around, going to Janaki's and eating lunch and then, like sleeping all day, you were over there in Bailakupe just like meditating. I didn't meditate. That's kind of an impression we have of uh, Buddhism. I was actually yeah. looking for meditators in the uh, in the monastery, but uh, I think it's a, one assumption we have that uh, that Buddhists sit and meditate so much. What <laughs> what they do in the in the monastery is like uh, certainly like the the Golden Temple is really a huge learning uh, institution where mm. they maintain the the huge body of of uh, of scriptures and mm. and teachings from the buddhist tradition uh, and they're educating people who can who can teach that and and pass it on to the next generation and they are of course also performing huge uh, tantric uh, pujas that take mm. days and days to to perform and are very very complex so is a it's an institution that educates experts in in ritual and in scripture i would say and then you know it also works like you know some a lot of people just maintain do the practical things so it's really all kinds of uh, all kinds of uh, uh, jobs you can say or, or a lot of cleaning yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Cleaning. yeah. 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 <laughs> Rubbing the so, tiles outside the yeah. temple. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. your presence there in Bailakupi, how are how are you dressed? I mean, are you in the, the, the saffron robes as well? Are you No, I wasn't ordained, shaved? you see. I never took yeah. ordination. I, I never wanted really to be a nun. Uh, mm -hmm. so, but I was decently dressed in, you know, Indian kutras or in the chupa. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, long and skirts. And then yeah. you're in a dormitory and you're kind of, are you with the, the, the nunnery and you're in that? No, you see all, all monasteries will have guest houses because they frequently mm -hmm. have people visiting and they have sponsors visiting. So, so they have to put them somewhere. So they usually have guest houses where lay people mm -hmm. or visiting people can can stay yeah for a uh, for a relative small amount of money yeah uh, but i never lived there i uh, i actually rented a room in the camp nearby so i lived ah. right next to the monastery okay with along with a lot of exile uh, tibetans it yeah. was really such a lovely place it was so nice 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, in that part of India, so it, it was in many ways uh, a blissful time. Mm. Um, I've I've spent a, I've since we both have visited quite often. Um, mm. I, I I've spent the night there a few times, and it was. I remember the the linen was uncomfortable. <laughs> the linen. <laughs> well, I had my own, so I. Oh, you brought your own linen. I had my yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah, that's an <laughs> excellent ad- mm. advice. Wow. And so you, you spent three years in the camp and then you'd yeah, go kind to of, the... Kind of on and off. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, I went back to Norway to, to work. Uh, mm-hmm. so I would teach. I, was, I still had a, a yoga studio. So I would teach for a few months. I would go back. I would stay there. Uh, and then we would go to Budgaya every year for the prayer festivals and mm-hmm. long teachings. Uh, mm-hmm. and for practice so we had to do all these like yeah, hundred thousand prostrations and stuff mm-hmm. like that took a long time wow. um, and uh, I was allowed to sit in on uh, on the Tibetan yoga for one year they did like a month retreat of that once and I was doing practical things like they had a little clinic for the children in the monastery so I was you know, pretending to help out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretending. Well, I'm not a nurse, you see, so right. I did my best. Yeah. yeah. I remember it was like a, health, a lot of patting, a lot of a lot of patting little children on the head and yeah. Yeah. them with scabies Aww. medicine. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I I heard a comic say something about this once, but yeah. Uh, uh, about young people, you know, twenty-year-olds who 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 go away on a mission to uh, to volunteer and help out in some third-world country, mm. and the idea of that is is a hundred is one hundred and eighty degrees opposite of what you think. Like that young person was being taken care of by the people there; <laughs> yeah. they weren't taking care of the people there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, mm, it's an amazing exchange, though, isn't it? When when you enter another culture or another like discipline, and and I mean, you always yeah, absolutely you might I'm, be there to give in a certain way, but you also receive so much. Of mm-hmm. course, you receive so much, and uh, it was a good experience to see uh, how it works. You know, when mm-hmm. when people with the same intention live together and. Uh, these are the things you also it also helped i think for my later studies when i when i studied uh, when i did buddhist studies and, and tibetan language more formally i could mm. understand the setting within which these teachings were given and what it referred to uh, so yeah i thought i thought that was uh, that was helpful yeah, and of course, you know, I liked it was also kind of a, a retreat. I also had my Ashtanga practice. I, I would yeah. do that and I would study Tibetan and I would do my prayers and yeah, um, study on my own. And yeah, I had no problem with passing time like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I could easily be an internal, eternal student. Yeah. It's uh, our friend uh, John Campbell had also spent yes. a lot of time. I wonder if you rubbed shoulders with him while you while you were there. I did, I did. Yeah. Uh, first time I was in Mysore, I met him there actually in ninety seven, yeah. mm-hmm. the year when he met his wife. Yeah, he was Claude. also there. Yeah. This artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was very I- impressed with her. You know. I knew I knew Claude from New York. She had um, she had lectured at my university in the mm-hmm. arts, and uh, 
uh, she was quite aggressively territorial with me. And <laughs> I always tease her about that. I also, I also like to tease John that um, before I had met John, I had seen his, his wife naked. Um, <laughs> Because she was a performance artist, and she would she had done yes, a, like yeah. a really yeah, interesting was, yeah. presentation where she had she was on stage and she had uh, unraveled. unraveled her dress over a period of a week, and then <laughs> sewn it back together. And it was like, it was yeah, I, she showed us pictures of her performances, and she had one she spent a, a week or something in bed with a motorbike. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I was I was very impressed with that because she was also very young and very successful artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's uh, yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I liked about I really liked about John is his his ability to kind of weave together Buddhism and his study of, uh, of Tibetan culture and, and his Ashtanga yoga practice. And I, and I wonder if you could also speak to that experience for yourself, because mm-hmm. it, it was, I think for a lot of us, it was a kind of fantasy land to go over to Baila Kupe and, and think about these traditions and, and you know, imagine ourselves kind of being more, more authentic. And I, it strikes me that the, you were m- much more deeply immersed in that experience than us. And it's, it's kind of incredible. Well, it, it kind of was confusing for me for a long time as well, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I had like one leg in, uh, in what I thought was the Buddhist camp and one in the yeah. Ashtanga camp. And I didn't understand where these uh, traditions would, would meet or where they would cross paths. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, having learned more about it and, and educated myself in the, you know, history of yoga and history of, uh, of Buddhism, I see that it's really a, a much um, uh, later uh, division of where these mm. paths actually were seen as, a, as two different paths. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you go back to, and I, when I talk about yoga, I think of yoga as, you know, two uh, kind of faces you have the early classical yoga of, of Patanjali and then you have the later tantric tradition and and both of them have uh, both of them have uh, uh, in both of them you see the the traditions uh, coming together or emerging from the same source really mm-hmm. um, I think uh, if you uh, if you look at the the classical yoga and classical Buddhism I mean they were it's both <laughs> Patanjali and the Buddha yeah. are both practicing yoga. And I think even uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it was classified as a darshana later as a philosophical system, but it's much more a description of a, of a collection of methods that were yeah. uh, prevalent at the time they were mm-hmm. uh, collected and they cross over many different traditions. So what is described in the Yoga Sutras is also what the Buddhists were practicing, what the Jains mm-hmm. were practicing. So yeah. uh, to, to the, the label as a, one of the philosophical systems was attached really much later. And you see mm-hmm. the same if you go later, you see in, uh, also in, in uh, Tantra that the, there was a common, there was a common use of the of the of the body there was a common concept of the body the subtle body the winds and the channels Mm -hmm. and they also have a 
they also have a, a common source. It just developed differently because uh, then Buddhism was uh, imported to uh, Tibet and, and developed further there, whereas it, uh, uh, it uh, over time vanished or was absorbed into other traditions, I would rather say, in, uh, in India. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the landscape today, it looks like very separate traditions. It's really uh, yoga is yoga. It's a collection of methods yeah. that uh, uh, a yeah. multitude of traditions have uh, been using applying. Yeah, I love that that you bring that up because in the sutras itself, even some of the words and the language, you can see the Buddhist sort yeah, of yeah, connection or influence a... or Jain connection and influence and how yeah, yeah. It's even they were really Buddhist, Buddhist yeah. hybrid Sanskrit is the yeah. is not common uh, Sanskrit terms even it's taken from from Buddhism so I think it's pretty clear that he's describing yeah. what people were practicing at the time yes. in all the yeah. different camps yeah before things got so like mm. segregated almost yeah. or categorized yeah exactly. yeah yeah so lovely. finding out that you know there's really just <laughs> yoga yeah. so yeah. i think no need to differentiate mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but it's also you know it's also this later adaptation where you apply the yoga sutras to the physical yoga that we've been doing mm -hmm. for the last maybe 200 years uh, so so that's a new interpretation and a new development yeah. mm -hmm. i'd have to say that i think john was the first person who I've ever heard say that to me that you know when I I in a uh, institutional setting I asked him uh you know what is the difference between meditation and, and yoga and you know how do you how do you um integrate the two and he said you know if you if you're really examining the material mm. it's impossible to differentiate yes. mm. meditation and yoga and it's it's uh it's it's just impossible. It is you are using the body to concentrate the, the mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we met in Mysore, I don't know exactly what year it was, but I think you were on your way to live in Nepal. Oh, that must have been late then, because I moved to Nepal yeah. in two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were exactly directly mm -hmm. on your way, but I think mm -hmm. you were kind of thinking of heading mm -hmm. that direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, I did that. What was, I did. Yeah, I, tell us I also about did that. Several, I did several trips to Nepal uh, before, before I finally, okay. you know, um, enrolled in the university there and, and decided okay. to stay there. Uh, so no, I had lived in the monastery and I, I was a little bit naive and I thought I could, you know, grasp what Buddhism was by just hanging around in the monastery and <laughs> uh, I couldn't really. So I felt the need for uh, more um, academic studies for more, uh -huh. uh, um, uh, what can we say, more structure in, yeah. my, in my studies not just to try to you know learn the language by asking around and, and yeah <laughs> with people and they would they would anyway tell you all kind of different things so yeah. it was very confusing for me to to try to learn the language in in that way because it's also an exile population so they all have yeah. different ways and of um of um, using the language uh so uh, finally i uh 
uh, I went to uh, I went to uh, Kathmandu to Ramjung Yeshe Institute, and I did a, I did two three summer courses, I think, wow. uh, intensives. Yeah. And that was a revelation to me. Okay, so there, so they would just say like, well, most people say this, and you commonly hear this as well. So then, that, yeah. aha, aha, yeah. so this is how the language works. And then, and so you were studying you, to like Tibetan language while you were. Yeah, I went there to there. study Tibetan yeah. language. Okay. And and then I decided to. Uh, I thought I thought well, it might be fun to be a translator for a lama and kind of sit next to him and read yeah. and interpret what he's saying. So I decided to to do that uh, for a year. Yeah, so wow. I think it was probably one of the most intensive years in, in my life. I deliberately decided not to speak to any English speaking persons. Yeah. So I, had like yeah. every, I had like every slot of 15 minutes in the day was accounted for. You know, I didn't take like breaks. I would, you have to learn basically everything by heart. Is Tibetan is not a phonetic language like Sanskrit, where you can mm -hmm. figure out how to spell things pretty much from how right. it sounds. Uh, Tibetan is completely the opposite so you need to actually memorize the spelling of, of every single right. word and it doesn't sound like anything you know mm. so it wow. was a lot of uh, uh, it was a lot of uh, learning by heart mm -hmm. and uh, I was a little bit worried because I was already in my mid-40s and I was thinking how much can my br old brain really retain of this is it really possible at all yeah. to learn mm. a new language at this age so it was a very, uh, very, very intensive year. And, and at the end of it, I, I realized that I don't understand what these guys, what these lamas are talking about, because I don't know the philosophy. You know, it's so much terminology. Incredible. It's 2,500 years of, you know, develop, of developing different terminology and different schools and philosophical yeah. systems and all that. So... Uh, so I thought I better study the philosophy. So I did a I did a bachelor degree after that. Wow! In uh, Nepal, also, yeah, wow. same institution. And then uh, and then someone talked me into stay a bit longer and doing a master degree. So wow! Uh, I also liked staying in Nepal. So yeah, I just continued. And so was your bachelor's degree and your master's degree in Tibetan language or was it in philosophy or? It's both. So the, the bachelor degree was uh, uh, Buddhist studies and Himalayan languages. So it yeah. was mainly Tibetan. I did a bit of, uh, I did a little bit of Sanskrit. It was required for the master's studies. Yeah. Uh, well, I did about a year of, uh, of Sanskrit or a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah and then buddhist uh, studies so we would study both with lamas from the monastery so we would be taught yeah. in a very tra traditional hermeneutic uh, uh yeah. way mm -hmm. yeah and <laughs> and then we would have western scholars with you know their approach and contextualization right. and and uh, um, historical um, um Con contextualization we would have both kind of uh, classes and writing so on one hand was we were taught in a very traditional way where you have to learn everything by heart you have to know what you're going to answer on the on the exam they will ask you like uh, what are the yeah like what are the six parameters describe them and right. there are a lot of lists in all these yes. systems <laughs> so you would memorize this and and, yeah. and you would have to write something about them as well uh, and uh, and in the other classes with the uh, Western scholars, you would write academic papers and in mm -hmm. a more um, 
academic style way. So it was really wonderful to have both uh, approaches, mm. uh, the insider and the uh, outsider uh, tradi tradition. When my, when, whereas my master degree was in translation, which has oh, okay. also been really helpful. So it was in textual tr translation. We, yeah. uh, we did, you know, translation studies, philology, and this is really helpful when it comes to, you know, understanding the yoga tradition to understand what a text, how, how terse a, a classical text actually is mm -hmm. and, and how many choices you have to make when you, when you translate, not just from a language, but also to another culture that might not have mm -hmm. these concepts that you find in the root text. Sorry, which is heavily the case with the yoga sutras. That is yeah. so terse. terse. You know? Yeah, that's what I was. I was going to ask because that seems like the most, the the example that maybe our listeners would would um, uh, resonate with is that the the text of the Patanjali Yoga Sutras is quite thin and small, mm. and yet the interpretations of the of the sutras can go on for a thousand pages, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with yeah. many different in books that are their interpretations yeah. of the same text from it's, many different time periods and. Uh, mm. uh, even even choices you make when when translating the the text has affects how it's understood and how it can be interpreted mm -hmm. so there are always layers upon layers and so we were yeah. learning about this you know you have to take some choices you have to make some choices as a as a translator mm -hmm. and it was it's very you know interesting because language is our frame of mind you know it is yeah. our world actually we can't we don't see what we don't have uh, words for it's our mm -hmm. world just like the buddhist philosophy and then the yoga philosophy say our world consists of concepts and yoga mm -hmm. is very much the path of dissolving these concepts and yeah. come back to what is beyond the, behind them, beyond them yeah wow yeah incredible and so when you were up there did you start teaching mysore too is it during this time you were studying yeah yeah, I could. I thought, <laughs> Why not? you know, I always thought when that was my life plan when I was very yeah. young. Okay. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew I couldn't, you know, I couldn't dance or do physical things uh, all my life. So I thought, well, I'll just try for as long as it goes. So I have to do it in this order. I have to, to work with the body first. Mm -hmm. and then I can work with my mind then I can be an mm. academic in my old days yeah. that was my that was my plan uh, yeah. and I thought uh, I always envied people who didn't have to you know uh, wake up with a completely stiff body and start all over again to like, loosen yeah. up and, and work and get into the groove it was like you had to wasn't you had to start from scratch every day yeah. That was dance. my experience. And many, in many cases, as a as a yogi as well, you know, it takes yeah. some time before you get into it. So I thought, ah, will be so nice. It would be so nice to be an academic, and you can just nobody cares, you know, how you how you uh, look. Wake up. You can just, yeah. you can just sit. <laughs> yeah. You can just sit, and nobody can tell if you're concentrating or not. They can tell yeah. if you're a yogi or a dancer because you fall down from your yeah. balance or. You're, they can tell when you're off. It must be so yeah. nice to just, you know, do something uh, where you don't have to use your body. But I couldn't yeah. last for very long, you know, just trying to be an academic. So I, I missed, uh, I missed the yoga, and I, I started yeah. teaching some classes in uh, 
in Kathmandu. Yeah. So at first we had some really nice uh, yoga studios there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when they discontinued, I was offered uh, to have my own yoga. I was actually offered to use a yoga studio. So, so I just, um, I just mm-hmm. used that and set yeah. up my own MISO program. Amazing. Which was, which was fun. You know, yeah. it was very, of course, as with any MISA program that you start is you have like your three, two or three students. Yeah, two or three students. To begin with, but, but then it kind of uh, took on and, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. I got some students after a while and such a lovely community in, uh, mm-hmm. in Nepal of uh, expats and, and local mm-hmm. Nepali students and, and people who would come to, to study with me and stay for a month or two. So that Amazing. was it. Was really really a nice uh, community. Mm. Yeah. I you know I'm I'm, inter- well, I'm interested. Um, I think I've, I've teased our guests before that I that I appear to be fascinated with their romantic lives, and I think it's <laughs> it's because for me so much of my history seems tied to who I was romantically obsessed with, mm. and that's a period of time and. I have, I'm having the impression that your life isn't, isn't run the same way. Mm. Like you had a, you had a spiritual obsession and an interest and a, an interest in refuge Mm -hmm. and taking refuge. Um, But I don't see your life being compartmentalized by who you were in love with. No. Which is surprising (laughs) to me. That was not my, uh, that was not my uh, ambition for a, for mm-hmm. a long time. And I never thought of having my own family. That was not on, on my list, on my mm-hmm. bucket list yeah. or, what, or any list. Uh, <laughs> it was never an attraction for me because I, uh, I saw that as just one way of repeating what my parents were doing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see the uh, appeal in that or any appeal in that. Mm-hmm. uh so so i didn't i didn't pursue that mm-hmm. uh and i think somehow getting being so involved in in dancing and in yoga i always thought oh this is enough i get enough uh, physical uh, gratification yeah. from, from being involved in this uh, oops in these practices <laughs> yeah. so but then you know lightning strikes you <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. so when you when you least plan it you know so yeah. i thought well i moved to Kathmandu. i i'm gonna withdraw from the world maybe i will be a <laughs> well if not a nun so i will just immerse in this and when you have no expectations then you fall in love yeah hmm. <laughs> so that was my life also... has been more like a thunderstorm <laughs> thunderstorm <laughs> <laughs> And so how did, how did that happen? What happened? Tell us the story. No, I just, uh, I just um, uh, fell in love with, uh, with a Tibetan man. And uh, yeah. uh, I think um, uh, it w- it's also, you know, what the person from, from that culture represents in my life. Mm. It also <laughs> makes me feel whole in a way. That yeah. you know, you know this thing about living in uh, India that happened to me a lot. You know, in in one way, you feel you feel so at home in this mm-hmm. uh, in this culture, and you think that you have just blended on, and then you pass uh, then you pass uh, a window and you see a reflection, and you see this white person who completely 
stands oh. out like you're the, the elephant um, in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, is this what I it's, look like? I felt yeah. I was starting to feel so at home here. I thought yeah. I had really <laughs> blended in. I speak the language and everything. And still you stand out and you see you're not anywhere close. You know. Yeah. I know that so, feeling that looking in the mirror and being surprised by yeah. the person. Yeah. It's shocking. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you know, but living more closely with the with the person from from that culture which mm. you really love so much, yeah, uh, it, it makes a difference and it makes me feel more whole, you know, more mm. safe. You know, mm-hmm. I have it. I have him. I have the the culture, the whole references, the values. Mm-hmm. I have it close by all the time. I don't have to be the one person who living in Norway who upholds that view who's constantly swims yeah. against the stream you know yeah yeah so it's such a it's such a support to uh, to just be to be two and to have that reference around you all the time yeah beautiful is he in Norway with you now he's in Norway with me now I've sent him off to the beach <laughs> <laughs> the cold beach (laughs) yeah the cold beach yeah oh that's so beautiful yeah he's been here many times before Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i'm trying to convince him to uh (laughs) to move here and uh, yeah but it's also of course it's it's difficult for him to adapt to this culture where nobody talks to each other and there's no like hangout places like nepal is so beautiful it has all these people boot which just yeah. means people trees. Yeah. On every crossroad, there's a big tree with like a little shrine and a, a, yeah. a sitting area around it. Mm-hmm. So in one way, you can come there, you can light some incense, offer some threads to the goddess, or you can just sit there and have a cigarette and, and talk to <laughs> talk to yeah. your neighbor. It's so, so socially uh, rich yeah. in a way mm-hmm. that we, we don't have here. It's very yes. sad in a way, and I always feel sorry mm-hmm. for people who move to Norway that they must be so lonely, you know. But yeah. uh, do you have a dog? a dog? I don't have a I don't have a dog, and I know it's a it's a good door opener. To, it, to it's have a, a dog it's very you know, people with dogs very always talk to each other. Yeah, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. You know, mm. I can't stand it. So I have to well, I go out with the dog and then suddenly I'm standing with by people as we watch our dogs play with each other. And I don't know these yeah. people at all. And I'm learning all kinds of things about them. It's terrifying. Okay. <laughs> but it is it is interesting. Like I, I always feel that with the um, you know, East Asian or Southeast Asian cultures, there's a lot more um outdoor culture mm. happening where mm. people are like hanging out together and mm. you know meeting each other and life is really lived outside yeah. for a lot of time even in colder places it's yeah, still yeah. like lived outside and it, it also makes you less materialistic because everything yeah. is is not depending on on what a nice home you have if you can exactly. invite people to your home and what kind yes. of uh, plates and uh, sofa yes. and stuff you have you know it doesn't matter the solution there is not to invite people to your home. Yeah, and then you also shouldn't not invite go people to your home. You should <laughs> just go outside. Go I mean, outside. life happens outside, not in your home. But uh, here, yeah. everything is focused around inside the home. The home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's getting a bit. I mean, it's getting a bit better now. I mean, especially in summer, it's a bit hysterical in Oslo because we can be outside and wow, it's like we discover it every year. Wow, yeah, hanging out. It's actually nice. 
yeah i think that's a very um that's funny i think that's a very northern experience experience because it's very similar here in canada where it's festival season now yeah for like eight nine months of the year we're just sort of inside and then Mm. for three months of the year we come out and and enjoy life again and it's really an experience of impermanence as well you know because the weather always changes yeah so you have to kind of grab it i remember that when when i moved to uh, when i moved to asia and i always had a problem you know sitting inside and studying when the sun was shining outside because i'm brought up you can't sit in the sun is shining you don't know how long it's gonna last get (laughs) out exactly yeah quick quick go get outside I'm, i'm confused then like why would you leave this paradise in nepal and try and convince your your companion to move back to Norway. Um, that wasn't it. Wasn't actually planned either. It just happened during the pandemic that I thought mm-hmm. I would go home for a couple of months because Nepal had been closed for five months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was nothing I could do there except retreat, mm-hmm. and uh, everything was uncertain. And I had been doing retreat for five months I felt and I kind of desperately wanted to be able to walk outside and be outdoors and uh, and Mm -hmm. have some space around me I guess and but I didn't plan on staying so long but you know then I got home and suddenly two years had passed and things (laughs) were still closed down Uh, so so meanwhile I had been here and I had been establishing a, a new uh, yoga company and we had lots of plans and things we would do and the MISO program and inviting guest teachers and in-depth course and there was a lot of things that happened during that mm. pandemic which was kind of you know we had a lot of things cooking while things yeah. were, were still because we were not going out and teaching all the time yeah. So, so we had a, a lot of time to, to prepare. Yeah. Now that's kind of okay. Now I'm actually fine with staying here. And slowly, slowly, as uh, Nepal opens again, I will do more um, projects there. I will certainly go back to Nepal, but I don't think I will live there for the, for the next years. Yeah. How can you how could you see your companion while this was all happening? Was was he able to visit? Were you together the whole time? No, no, no. Um, uh, we were very restricted in in going out. We didn't live together, so you could go out when it when it was closed down. You could go out only for like three hours in the morning to to get mm-hmm. your food and and medication or what you needed. So it was very limited how much one could uh, one could see each other. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And then yeah. it was a long time when I came back to Norway of course that we we couldn't see each other. Yeah. 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 So and wow. then I f- could finally go back to Nepal last uh, November with all the CPR tests. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> But I was still a bit afraid because uh, the airport in Kathmandu just closed. You know, there were no flights out of Nepal, so I was kind of, I was kind of stuck there, and I, I would didn't want that to happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think just just recently people are getting used to the idea of traveling mm. again, and mm-hmm. and it's becoming a little easier once more without yeah. having to take all these tests and yeah. 
yeah, feeling like, okay, airports aren't just going to shut down all of a sudden. Yeah, it's not this immediate threat. Yeah. yeah. And so before, when you were living up in Nepal, you were like teaching yoga retreats and going hiking in the Himalayas, yeah, which sounds I just, I amazing. Had it, I had it all planned so beautifully. I had, uh, I had, uh, I think 10, 10, 12 people signed up for uh, yeah. what I call an Ashtanga yoga journey around the Kathmandu Valley. They were just mm -hmm. going to come at the end of uh, March. Yeah. And then everything closed down just from one week to the next that became yeah. impossible to do. And that was kind of my favorite thing to do as well. You know, yeah. you just have something you're really enthusiastic about all my favorite places. I love to yeah. take people there and explain it and introduce yeah. them to another culture because quite often people go to Nepal and they just end up taking pictures of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without really understanding it and and you're always like uncertain what can i do can i actually walk into the temple to the buddhist right. temple and sit there or mm -hmm. what, can, what is allowed what is not allowed can i talk to mm -hmm. this person so it's it's nice to 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 be able to introduce and say okay come yeah. here i can show you around you can sit down here you can sit in yeah. with the in the morning prayers and uh, people are so fascinated and it's yeah. nice to be let into this uh, this world and it's it's something i really like doing yeah and to have and of a course guide everyone who can translate for you too yeah yeah <laughs> and everyone falls in love with nepal and, and yeah goes, <laughs> goes home changed mm -hmm. so it's a nice thing to do really and i i went to tibet uh, a few years back and i had also mm. planned uh, i had actually planned uh, a trip to, uh, to take people into Lhasa and around and through wow. Tibet and around Mount Kailash. Yeah. And then, yeah, everything just closed well, down. Well, next time when you do that trip, you let me know because I really want to yeah. visit Mount Kailash. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to do. The whole experience of being in Tibet was a complete yeah. game changer. Wow. What changed for you? What did it open up? You know, from studying from it brought me one step closer to buddhism and the history and everything mm. i had studied over the year i got the realization that wow this actually happened this yeah. actually happened here yeah you know yeah. and also the uh, on also the extremely harsh conditions that people live under yeah so much is above uh, uh 4, meters which is extremely challenging for the yeah. For the for the body to just live in these conditions and and how could they do all these things like practicing this extreme yoga that they're practicing and 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 just survive mm -hmm. just survive in the cold and the snow and uh and with less food mm -hmm. and and how could people in such harsh conditions develop such a spiritual practice that's kind of amazing yeah it is yeah so it's really impressive and you still see it how these uh, how these people are so devoted mm -hmm. yeah the, perhaps the harsh need... conditions lend itself to those <laughs> spiritual practice yeah mm. did you ever do any um like research or or learning about um this idea that the ashtanga yoga practice came from these more tantric tibetan 
type yoga what was it called well i still i still have a dream of going into the archives in in kathmandu Mm. and uh, with an expert in navari language and find the yoga kurunta ah yeah (laughs) (laughs) that'd be great (laughs) that would be great yeah because there are some some quite um uh, big archives in in Kathmandu yeah. and I heard I, I can't remember who said put up that uh, theory that um, this Raman Mohan that might have been in the war which could make yeah. which could make sense you know but then the text would be in the Wari language yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah interesting and there's like this yantra yoga. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yatra. Yatra yoga. Yeah, yantra. I think something like yantra that. Yoga, yeah. Yantra yeah, yoga. Yantra yoga. Yeah, yantra yoga. It, it's interesting to look at the similarities between that type of practice and the Ashtanga the, yoga sequencing the, and the breathing and the uh, the geometric shapes that making mm-hmm. the very very interesting similarities. Yeah, they have. Um, I mean, they have. <laughs> they have some very elaborate. Uh, uh, practices within the the Tibetan tradition, and now it's it, now it's a very interesting time because now they are uh, released uh, for the for the public because they were always kept secret because this mm. was a non-monastic tradition, so yeah. uh, so uh, it was not for, uh, for everyone. It was for for the for the yogis. So these yeah. were two separate, always two separate traditions in uh, in uh, Tibet. But now it's 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 taught more openly, mm, so that's cause... actually part of my my project these days. Yeah. So we, this year we invited uh, Ian Baker to uh, to Norway to lecture, mm-hmm. uh, and and he's like he's an expert on uh, on Tibetan yoga and a long long term uh, practitioner. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also with with references to how these practices are working on the on the body the nervous system different yeah. uh, systems of the body so tumo. and so we, that was the word tumo the breathing tumo, the yes breathing yes back. yeah the breathing exactly yeah. the inner heat so that's mm-hmm. that's happening next year now it's a bit of advertising here so yeah <laughs> actually uh, so i did this uh, i had this that's dream amazing. i had yeah. this dream or this vision of putting together you know Ian Baker, who is a scholar practitioner and and an amazing uh, speaker and, and lecturer, mm-hmm. and uh, to put him and uh, a Tibetan Lama from from within the tradition to have them teach together, so mm-hmm. people would get amazing. the historical context and see it in relation to yoga and hatha yoga, yeah. um, and the common roots in in tantra, and yeah. and at the same time people would get be deeply immersed in the practice from mm-hmm. from uh, from uh, uh, from someone within the tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the uh, the other teacher, Dolpo Tukurimpoche, he's from uh, uh, he's from uh, a village of uh, of yogis, and but then he also has a, a monastic uh, uh, education, uh, and uh, so you get all the aspects of the of the Tibetan tradition, because it's also it's also the case that the, that the tantric practice is blended with the uh, with the monastic tradition, and they were altered. So uh, so you have really you have both in in Tibet. You have both the you know the yogis on one side and the monastic tradition on one side, but you also have a kind of a compromise in which the in which the or an adaptation 
in which the, the uh, monastic, uh, uh, the people who belong to the monastic tradition also get to practice, to do these yogic practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, I mean, that's that went well it was really yeah. you know it was kind of scary thing <laughs> to do yeah uh, to put the, uh, to put this together and see how openly each of them would would reveal their view and their, their yeah. tradition but it went extremely well and uh, and we we got the we established this the sense of trust you know because it's not you know you don't just reveal yeah. this to to anyone you have to do it properly and make sure the kind of contextualization and explanations mm -hmm. are you know proper and come from a good place so next year we're ready to to do the tumor practice and get the initiation so i'm very Amazing. excited Fantastic. that happening in norway <laughs> wow. when, is, when is that happening yeah when this is happening probably in july next year up at mm -hmm. nursing so we will be also out in in nature that was something else i thought would be very appropriate because you know these yogis they quite often they practice in remote places so again yeah. back to nature practice yeah. in, in places there's a whole tradition uh, that ian baker is also uh, deeply engaged in and that's these sacred places finding these places that are extremely conducive to your practice that affects your mind and makes it easier mm. facilitates meditation in which your perception of the landscape starts to change. Yeah. Oh, Become undifferentiated, incredible. like when yeah. you're on LSD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't need to be on LSD. No, you don't need. It's <laughs> you true. Need you to don't breathe. need to be. Breathe yeah, the, the practices are there available to everyone. Uh, gosh, it's, how could people sign up for something like that with you? Or, or other practices that, that they could... Well, I think this retreat, we, we just have to uh, establish the set the, the schedule and because these are, you know, Rinpoche is a busy teacher. So yeah. we just have to confirm the, cons confirm the timings and then it will be up on the, the Nelson website. Oh, perfect. The which website? The Nelson website. Nelson. Nelson. Alex Medin's retreat Alex center. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I, I, uh, I wish I had uh, someone like that who could who could help me as an introduction to to Buddhism or how to mm -hmm. to operate on a in a temple. I, I I remember when I was living in in Korea, I would go to the Bongwan Bongwansa Temple um, on Bongwansan Mountain in in Seoul. It's incredible in Seoul in Korea because the it feels like Buddhism is very much integrated into the urban society. So it's mm. the temples are always quite close to where people mm. live. Yeah. And it's helpful that the mountains are also very close to where people live. Mm. Um, and I would, I remember going into the temple every day, I would do my Shtanga yoga practice and I would walk up the hill and I would go into the temple and sit and try and do a meditation practice mm. as well. And I was mm -hmm. never doing anything right. And <laughs> I'd go in, I think people, would do prostrations and then leave. And I wanted to sit for a long time and the cleaning lady and I started to feud and <laughs> she would start to sweep all around me until I would leave like I was garbage, you know, that needed to leave the temple. And she had to kind of, I can't clean here until you leave, you know? Mm. And so was, I, 
I needed a translator and someone to really mm. help me figure out exactly. what to do in that room. It's hard yeah. to get on the inside of these uh, traditions and they can also be confused, confusing because it's like a big ocean and wherever you dip your toe, it's going to feel different because mm-hmm. they have developed over hundreds and hundreds of years and they can be contradictory. Yeah. You know? yeah. The Buddha said one thing in one context and a few centuries later, it seems to something contradictory mm-hmm. seems to come up it's reinterpreted in a, in a different way yeah. so it's really important to have this someone who can contextualize it and, and explain it to you mm-hmm. so that was the good thing about the education in in Kathmandu that we've got both uh, perspectives mm-hmm. but then when it comes to practice it's also good to have both uh, perspectives yeah without there being any contradiction mm-hmm. yeah yeah amazing wonderful and do you have any more retreats planned for for going up to nepal and doing yoga and trekking through Uh, the mountains i have yes i actually have another kind of dream retreat yeah and i guess that's the fun thing about you know uh, i thought it was fun as a dancer to to plan projects and kind of dream up something and and write a description and then materialize it yeah uh, and plan it and get it all together it's a kind of fun part and uh, same thing with uh, with planning amazing retreats you know and you can mm-hmm. you can do it in uh, in nepal because it's uh, it's well developed for tourism it's quite mm-hmm. it's well organized of course there are things you never know if there's going to be a, a road <laughs> yeah <laughs> a bump in the road or something suddenly the road is closed or something is yeah. happening like that or a big festival and the road is blocked by dancing people or something like that. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but apart from that, Nepal is uh, well organized and the unforeseen sort of becomes the charm of Nepal also. You, mm. have, to, you have to be up for that, for the surprises. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I have a retreat planned in October and this was always my dream to do first a uh, retreat out in uh, uh, in the beautiful countryside in a wonderful setting in a holy place mm-hmm. and then go trekking go for the mountain experience yeah. uh, and both things are really wonderful to do in uh, in nepal of course the the mountains are wonderful but you're also immersed in this culture so when you go yeah. trekking you also come across little monasteries and villages and practitioners yeah. and it's really uh, and you're walking on old trade roads routes yeah. you know so it's part of the it's always part of the culture and staying in Kathmandu for a couple of days that's also like a sacred space in the midst of all the chaos and <laughs> disorganization and bumpy roads and the worst infrastructure ever you are actually <laughs> within a mandala where everything has significance yeah so you can you can see it on the outside or you could really try to see under the surface Mm -hmm. and there's always the different times present at the same time you're in the modern time but you're also in medieval time and ancient time yeah Uh, so that's a a wonderful thing to do and there is also now so it's a it's actually a lack of retreat places in in uh, in nepal at the moment there aren't that many nice mm-hmm. retreat places but there is one so yeah. that's where we go <laughs> that's where we again go. <laughs> yeah. beautiful yeah that's, again, that's can... uh, hmm? 
you can find that on the Nelson website or no, your own no, website? No, that's on my website. That's on the Ashtanga Nepal website. So that's okay. on the retreats in Nepal. So I have a, yeah, I have a two week uh, retreat slash trek in Nepal. <laughs> and uh, I, I will probably go to Nepal like uh, twice a year, I think from now on mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. keep the uh, connection with that place. And now it's so wonderful. My, my students are, um, there are two Nepali students. They have taken over the Shala. So they are actually, they're continuing the Mysore program. And I think mm. it's so nice. And I think it's so cool that it's the Nepali people themselves yeah. doing that, you know? It's yeah. beautiful. So I, I taught them and, and now they are, they are continuing continuing and they're so dedicated yeah amazing Mm. that's so nice Mm. and nice Mm. to also see something that you started living on and like being taken Mm. up by the people who are who are there who have their roots there and because they are nepali more nepali yeah uh, people are coming to their classes also right yeah yeah that's amazing that's that's incredible is uh, i just want to say it's really lovely sitting with you it's um <laughs> it just there's a very kind of um um i'm thinking beneficial or bene just the word bene is, bene. is coming to my bene yeah, there's the, coming bene. to my <laughs> the kind of wonderful um um, sense of of uh, positivity from you and, and uh, a kind of a feeling of uh, of Presence. nonviolence. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's just the kind of that's the the feeling that I get. I'm trying to think of the right word that I want to use, but it's um it's uh, bhavana bhavana. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of lovely sense of being, and uh, yeah, it, it's a. Uh, it's a lovely experience to sit with you and talk with you. Well, thank you. And I, I think I have softened over the years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard from students that they used to be afraid of me, that I used to be kind of fierce. Yeah. yeah. And quite, we quite often you, you want that, you know, when you are a, you, when you are a dedicated Ashtanga practitioner yourself, yeah. you don't, you know, realize, oh, why can't they get up at four in the morning? And yeah. Why can't they be as dedicated and I as I am? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. then you realize that, you know, people have lives they have yeah yeah exactly Just let them do what they do and and the yoga will still do them some really good yeah so yeah i'm not so uh, yeah i'm not that fierce anymore but i really still believe in the in the system that it's it's really wonderful for people it's a fast track mm-hmm. fast track to self-empowerment and, and embodiment and, and so many good yeah. effects how have you been able to... to combine like your own personal practice of Ashtanga yoga, that physical, very physical side of the practice with then like a meditation practice? Do you have two separate times where you're dedicating to these two traditions or benevolent? benevolent. That was yeah. the word that I was, I was thinking of. Yeah. You're such a benevolent person. That's mm. what I feel. Go ahead. Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't really have a very much of a sitting practice. Uh, so when I was in uh, when I was studying, Havana uh, yeah. can mean so many things. So I had to take the the study as uh, as my practice. You know, yeah. it's also one part of practice is to go through these trains of thoughts again and again, and in the mm-hmm. end, it alters your perception of the the world. 
uh, so I guess that was the that was the path now mm -hmm. uh, and and then for for periods of time you also have these practices that you do that are uh, you know uh, reciting you know aspirational mm -hmm. prayers and uh, and um, uh, visualization and repeating mantras and uh, mm -hmm. and kind of formal liturgies like that that you are uh, that you are practicing uh, over time uh, which we are not so familiar with in the in the west uh, but I had to do it a lot because I was when I was in the monastery. That's the way I was taught. I was they taught me in a very traditional way, the way they would teach a six-year-old. You know? Right. And then yeah. I was a forty-six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in my forties. Yeah. Uh, so I think the thing is that you you do this, and you have these liturgies, these prayers, these aspirations is a really big part of the practice. They always do it. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, i'm thinking a lot about that how we in the west we don't do that we just mm. sit down on our on our cushion and we attempt to control the mind mm. you actually have to set your aspiration first you have to lift the energy mm. it's a mm -hmm. um, it's an uh, you have to inspire yourself yeah. and it's all in that way it's also it's also physical it also affects your your system you know Mm -hmm. So to do these uh, prayers or recite this liturgy, you always you try really to let them blend with the energy of your of your body, so that yeah. it means something. It's not just like lip service or uh, yeah. repeating some meaningless words. In yeah. the Tibetan tradition, you should be very aware all the time, and your intention is everything. Mm -hmm. so you really have to try to to make that intention very clear and do it in 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 so many ways. By going through it logically, well, is there really such thing as you know the cause and effect, and should I really be? Is there really a reason to be altruistic and try to save other beings from suffering and so mm -hmm. on and so on? You go through this in a very rational way, and, and then you approach it from a more like emotional way, from a devotional way. Mm. But I really want to. I really want to make the world better. I really want to remove suffering and then you make your aspirations and then it's good only then it's good to have that framework for your practice then mm. it's helpful yeah that was the thing that i took away from by the coupe the most striking image is the the hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of of monks um debating logic mm -hmm. with each other and yeah. talking and defending their position just as though they were in a philosophy class mm. and logic and argument and counter argument and then the the slap yeah, yeah. as they win an argument yeah. and it's, it's a sort of phenomenal thing to observe yeah and to you're really kind of struck by the sense of uh of intellect that mm. this is a these are intellectual arguments that people mm. are making on the state of being and mm. it's and a incredible. way of learning you know to make the to make the teachings really stick you have mm. to sometimes uh, adopt the the op opposite uh, um, the opposite view. position of what you believe in mm. and defend it. You know, yeah. mm. so it's a it's a really wonderful way of learning. I think I wish we do it. <laughs> we should do it in Western academia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So my, my it's a very philosophical is... way of learning. You know, that's yeah, what yeah. they teach you in philosophy. Always, is you. If, whatever position you're arguing for you have to make counter arguments from another position and mm. 
and then counter those counter arguments with mm. you know your your own position or whatever yeah. sort of and that was always yeah. part of the tradition as well to study the other traditions that you didn't mm. agree with you know you should mm -hmm. be educated if you were a buddhist you should also know the samkhya tradition and not the other right. systems yeah yeah you speaking of which you've, you've also kind of started exploring uh, a different way of doing ashtanga yoga and the you've been doing you've been working in the the sun tradition of the batavi joyce's tradition of mm. ashtanga yoga and now you've been exploring the the moon tradition the opposite yeah i wonder if you could well. <laughs> talk more about about that because that seems to have also opened up your um your teaching to something less orthodox and yeah less uh, well, I kind of had to because I thought I would be superwoman and I would do Ashtanga till I was 85 at least. And, you know, I thought, thought I was invincible, but that, that what I wasn't. So I, I basically, I just ruined my shoulders and I got mm -hmm. almost like frozen shoulders. And uh, I think I, I always prefer the strength aspect of yoga as opposed to mm -hmm. the, um, to you know, backward bending and mm -hmm. and mobility, and uh, I uh, I guess I didn't have a very balanced uh, practice. And then mm -hmm. one day I just couldn't lift my arms anymore. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I basically just lost my practice, and mm -hmm. that was completely it was devastating, you know, and humiliating, humiliating yeah. to you know mm -hmm. to teach and not be able to do the the things you were teaching. I'm so, so I felt that sense of of loss, and uh, mm -hmm. um, I didn't know I didn't know what to, what to do. Everything just hurts. Uh, so, uh, so someone just made me aware of well, maybe you should try the Chandra Namaskar of of Matthew Sweeney for a while. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and uh, that was such you know it's such a relief sometimes you know oh I I can actually go. I can get up in the morning and I can do something I look forward to doing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do the things that hurt. Yeah. Because my, my everything I tried to do, in I couldn't do trikonasana because it was painful to just lift the arm up. Yeah. Yeah. So it was that bad. Mm -hmm. So I found something that I, I could do and I had a you know big experience from that, that even in my 50s, the the body would still change and I would actually be much more flexible than before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that also made me more comfortable about giving people alternative stuff to do. Right. Uh, you can, you, I think we can use the Ashtanga in, in so many ways, but you know, many students who are not so dedicated, they end up never getting beyond primary series and a half primary and they end up doing that for years and years and years i don't think mm -hmm. it was meant to be done that way i think no. you need to have a balanced practice and have mm -hmm. a bit of uh, the opposite as well mm -hmm. go into deeper back bendings and uh, do other things working the nervous system in a totally different way mm -hmm. so it changed my way of teaching and looking more about into what does this student need you know and it's better mm -hmm. that they come in and they practice if they have an injury. And lots of people have that sitting by computers all the time. They have like stiff shoulders and mm -hmm. all kinds of problems or they tear a hamstring or something. <laughs> and they forward bending. Yeah. And I'll just encourage them to come in and just practice, you know, 
you have permission you've done this for years and years you can you can do something for something different different for a while mm -hmm. and it might even add to your practice yeah so yeah. i feel a bit a bit less uh, traditional yeah <laughs> but i'm still oh, yeah. you know i'm still very passionate about people's practice they should practice but you have to find the way that the each student can, can practice yeah yeah i, I know that, that that sensation that, that <clears throat> i've got a, a group of students in my room who um for whatever reason need a more deviant approach <laughs> and uh, i need to kind of work with with some their limitations and help them with these limitations and uh, an unorthodox approach is is what's necessary mm. for them because they may have a you know um, herniations or mm. uh, they may have a um, a immune immune disorder mm. and you need to work with them and and yet still because we were we, you know we're trained in this kind of cultish orthodoxy mm. if someone else comes in the room some friend old friend from the old days mm. and like I'm still and they're going to sub my class. I'm still like embarrassed. I made some little changes. I'm sorry. You have to kind of work <laughs> with these people. And, and that we shouldn't be embarrassed at all. These mm. people needed our help. And so we had to do something different for them. I think mm. that it's more open now, though. I think that more people are realizing or at least understanding that, that the yoga is to work with each person in each body type and it's mm -hmm. not about sacrificing people to a system it's about using the system to help exactly. people i i say that to people you know the the practice is for you it's not you who are there for the practice you know yeah. mm -hmm. it be that yeah. way yeah so, um and of course people are different if you have like a 20 year old very ambitious yeah. very <laughs> like and strong no. you, can, you can push them <laughs> Yeah. Then the beatings would come. Yeah. They end up in Bipurini Shalabhasana and are like, how did I get yeah, here? How did I get here? <laughs> and they even enjoy that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, my Nepali student is like that. He's unstoppable. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, so why not? Let's why not? It. Exactly. Yeah, there's a there's a time and a season for all things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But and now it's so many of my students, uh, you know, I started in 2002, I think. And mm -hmm. and then I was gone for a long time. And now I opened the MISA program again a year ago. Mm -hmm. And some of the old students are coming back. And I'm, I'm just amazed that they're still doing it, you know. And yeah. why shouldn't Amazing. I teach them in a way that, you know, that they can benefit mm -hmm. from? Absolutely. Yeah. If they've been at it that time, that's that's just amazing in itself. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you again for spending yeah. time with us, Ellen. It's really it's really lovely to spend time with your kind of benevolent yeah, energy. Um, thank you. <laughs> it's so nice to share some of your story. It's such a unique experience to have, like you know, living in Bella Coupe and Nepal and like, you know, learning Tibetan and integrating these two beautiful traditions together to help people in their spiritual practices. I think it's, it's such a beautiful path that you've been yeah. on. And so yeah, finally, you, you know, in this time of my life, it's, it's like it's all coming together, really. Yeah, yeah. From all the 
weird or bad career choices. That's <laughs> 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 you know, all these yeah. things that, you know, people are, why are you doing that? Yeah. You're going off to study Tibetan. But yeah. it's, for me, it's completely the opposite. When I lived in Kathmandu, I felt like I was in the center of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really not in the outskirts, you know. It's yeah. where yeah. the traditions are surviving. Totally. Yeah. It's totally. vibrant. I, it's really the spirit you know, the spirit. Yeah. I, I feel the yeah. same about Spiritual Calgary center. that it is the center of the world. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. <Calgary. laughs> no. <laughs> no, mm. yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It's so, it's so wonderful. So, mm. yeah. Well, I hope to join you one day on one of you, your pilgrimages. I would love to go on a trek. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get the yeah. we get the Mount Kailaj back on the schedule. Yes, I, you let me know. Yeah. I'm there. It's just Alex. about uh, you know Chinese government to open. Uh, I know. Traveling. Right? But I think it's yeah. opening now. I think. It's yeah, maybe fun. another yeah. year or two. It'll be yeah. be ready. <laughs> Alex has been eager for us to come to Norway to visit. Yeah, so we'd love to visit I'd love too, to come so. back yeah. too. Mm-hmm. yeah come visit yeah. sometime yeah next next july next exactly. july for the tumo breathing for the tumo breathing yeah. yes <laughs> that would be nice absolutely i've been talking about tumo in my slideshow for years yeah. to actually oh, experience yeah. it It'd be amazing yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well it was so beautiful and we'll have all of the links to all of your things in the show notes so people Wonderful. can find you yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. much. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Breaking waves There's a heart